Amen and hallelujah. God's Word prepares us for every moment we face. And our church is grieving this morning. It was Friday, this Friday morning when I got the news that uh, Trey Anderson had gone home to be with the Lord in a, in a tragic accident. He struck by a vehicle or two. Not everybody in the room knows Gordon and Deidre Anderson. Trey is their son. Um, this is Gordon and Deidre. Gordon is a deacon in our church. Huh? Oh, is he here? Okay. This is Trey and his children, Sutherland and Sawyer. I had planned a, another sermon this morning. Um, but as Solomon writes, there is a time for celebration. There's a time for mourning. Um, and I think there's a time for us to go about business as normal. And then there's a time for us to stop as a church and address what has happened. And so, if you don't know this family uh, intimately, um, I want you to know that this has happened. And according to Scripture, when one of us mourns, all of us mourn. When one of us celebrates, all of us celebrate together. We are in this together, like it or not. When something tragic happens, when you get that phone call, and many of you have gotten that phone call, when something tragic happens, it is very difficult to navigate those circumstances. So this morning, I want to talk to you a little bit about how to navigate grief and depression. I won't be long-winded. There's no effort on my part this morning to entertain or to bring levity to the situation because what has happened to the Andersons is absolutely tragic. And therefore, what has happened to our church is, is difficult, to say the least. But I want to show you in Lamentations chapter 3 that God has prepared you for these kinds of moments. And I want to help you navigate grief and the emotions that it causes, depression being one of them. But I also want to help you as a church minister to this dear family. There will be a time, and for some of you who are, who are close to the Andersons, that time has already arrived. But for many of you, that, that, that time will arrive for you to minister to this family. And we need to be careful about how we do that and go about that. And we need to be uh, biblical in the way that we help each other navigate these kinds of situations. Now, when we talk about these kinds of things, it's impossible for us to really have joy in our hearts. That's not the nature of grief. I don't imagine we'll leave the sanctuary this morning 
with those warm and fuzzy feelings. But I do want you to know that Jeremiah, at the bottom of a pit filled with human excrement, found in his depression a reason to have hope. And so I want you to leave the sanctuary this morning, maybe not with laughter and joy, but with grief and therefore with hope. Let me pray for us. Lord, we we just uh, recognize and, and confess to you that it is very difficult to know that those that we love are, are hurting. It's very difficult to lose one that we love so suddenly and so unexpectedly. So, Father, I pray that you would help us. Lord, that you would comfort us and that you would give us wisdom to know how to minister to one another. That you'd give us wisdom according to your word to know how to deal with the emotions that rise up in our hearts. Lord, that you would give us a truth framework to be able to discern which thoughts are agreeing with you and which thoughts are disagreeing with you. Lord, I pray for Gordon and Deidre. I ask, Father, that in these days they would know you as the God who sees a God who provides. And you who say about yourself in your word that you are a shield. That you are a rock. And I pray, Father, that they would in these days know the love of your people. The steadfastness of your goodness. And that all of us would cling to the hope of the promises you have given us in Scripture. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. All all of God's people said, Amen. I want you to understand how how to navigate your grief and depression. I want you to understand this from a biblical framework. And so we're going to go to Lamentations chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse 1. The first thing I want you to understand about how to navigate grief and depression is this. One, we must remember... That we live outside the garden. The garden of Eden. Look at Lamentations chapter 3 verses 1 through 6. Jeremiah writes, I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. That's God's wrath. He has led me, God has led me and made me walk in darkness and not in light. Surely he, God, has turned his hand against me time and time again throughout the day. He has aged my flesh and my skin and broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and woe. He has set me in dark places like the dead of long ago. Church, I just want to remind you this morning that grief and the emotions that surround it, including depression, are very real, natural responses that God has programmed in us to deal with life outside the garden. The reality is that because of our brokenness and because of our sin, we live in a world and in a life, we travel a path that is filled with trouble. It is filled with trial. And because we live outside the garden, we live outside the boundaries of God's designed blessings. And we must endure consequences 
to sin. We endure consequences to our own sin. We endure consequences uh, from others' sin. But we all endure the incredibly painful reality of death in this flesh. I want you to see that Jeremiah is a man who is depressed. You might be scrunching up your, your eyebrows a bit and saying, why is Jeremiah saying that God has done all of this to him? Jeremiah is depressed and he is blaming God. And he's rightfully articulating that God has done all of this to him. Jeremiah has simply done what God asked him to do, which is to preach the truth of God's Word to the nation. And as a result, by telling the nation to repent, by telling the king that he is in sin, Jeremiah has been thrown into a deep well filled with human waste. Because he obeyed God, he is suffering from the sins of others. I want you to understand, every one of us have experienced or will experience the pain of the tragedies that occur outside the Garden of Eden. God is unafraid for a time to allow us to live outside the garden. Because God wants as many as possible to know Him and come to a saving knowledge of Him. Amen. Well, we have to understand when we consider grief and we consider depression, we consider bad things, we have to consider that we simply just live outside the garden. Therefore, we will have troubles. Amen? That's right. Now, I want you to notice the second thing about how Jeremiah navigates grief and depression. Number two, he allows grief and depression to provide hope. Look at Lamentations 3, 19-21. He says, Remember my affliction and roaming, the wormwood and the gall, my soul still remembers and sinks within me. This I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. What is Jeremiah saying? Jeremiah is asking God to remember his affliction. To, to remember the fact that he is, without, he, is, he is without hope in a physical sense. The wormwood and the gall, the human waste he is sitting in. He says that his soul still remembers. And it gives him hope. I think one of the things that our American culture teaches us to do is to try anything, to do anything, to, 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 to go to any activity that will help remove the pain in our chest. We want to do everything we can to avoid grief, to avoid depression, just to make it stop, just to not feel it anymore. I want you to see in Scripture that Jeremiah embraces these emotions. He doesn't say, I'm depressed, therefore I need to figure out how to get undepressed. He says, I'm depressed, 
It is natural for me to be depressed because things stink right now. And I just want to say to you and remind you this morning, do not try to avoid grief or avoid the emotions that surround it. Don't try to avoid depression. Instead, allow grief and depression to give you hope. And I say, well, how in the world does depression and grief give us hope? How does it give Jeremiah hope? Well, he answers it as he continues his lament. It gives him hope because he knows the character of God. And he begins in navigating grief and navigating depression. Jeremiah begins to meditate on who God is. He begins to meditate on the character of God. And I want to remind you this morning, when life stinks, when tragedy hits, when you're at the bottom of the emotional functionality scale, the first thing you need to do is to start meditating on the character of God. Jeremiah says, and this is the third thing I want you to notice, he says that he meditates on the Lord's mercies. Look at Lamentations 3, 22-24. It says, Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in Him. Jeremiah is in the bottom of a pit. Life stinks. He's grieving. He's depressed. And he says, this is the, the Lord is my portion. I'm not guaranteed anything in this life outside the garden. What I am guaranteed because of my faith in Creator God is that He will give Himself to me. And that is my portion in this life. Amen. And he says, that is what gives me hope. Not my circumstances. It is the character of God. I want you to see what he says. He says, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. You say, how could he say that in the middle of grief and depression? How can you and I say that right now in the middle of loss? How can the Andersons say that right now in the middle of loss? How can you say that if you're sick with terminal cancer? How, how can you say that in the bottom of of the pit. Well, Jeremiah understands that because we live outside the garden, we are all dirty, rotten, broken sinners. And the Lord in His mercy chooses to give us every breath rather than destroy us in our sin immediately. His mercy is to give us time to know Him Time to repent. Time to prepare for coming judgment. When you go through a crisis, when tragedy strikes, the first thing you need to do is meditate on the character of God. And the first thing Jeremiah meditates on is the Lord's mercy. It could be worse. And that's an understatement. There's a fourth thing. Jeremiah shows us in this lament about navigating grief and, and depression. The fourth thing is that we need to learn to wait on the Lord. Look at Lamentations 3, 25-26. He says, The Lord is good to those who wait on Him, to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. 
You know, the reality is when tragedy strikes you, there are no words that can help you understand. There are no words that will make you feel better. There are no actions that can fix what has happened. What is the only thing that we can do? Wait. Wait. This is the picture of Job when he lost all of his children. Sits in ashes with the torn robe. And his friends come and they just sit with him for many days in silence. Waiting. Now, if you've read the book of Job, they should have kept waiting. This is so important, church. This, won't be, this isn't the first tragedy we've ever gone through as a congregation. It won't be the last. When you're ministering to one another, I want you to understand your words don't help. Neither do your actions. It's the waiting in silence and the encouraging to wait in silence on the Lord. And Jeremiah says, it is good that one should hope and wait quietly, that the Lord is good to those who wait on Him. When something happens, we always want to do something. God says, no, just wait. It's in the waiting, it's in the silence that He strengthens our faith. It's in the waiting, it's in the silence that He, he, he corrects our wrong thinking. It's in the waiting, it's in the silence that, that we Give 100% complete dependence to the Lord. So learn to wait on the Lord. There's a fifth thing and final thing I want you to see in this passage. When we are navigating grief and depression, we need to believe that God is good. Amen. Lamentations 3, 31 through 33. I want you to see this. Jeremiah says, as he meditates on the character of God, he reminds himself, for the Lord will not cast off forever. Though he causes grief, yet he will show compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. For he does not afflict willingly, nor grieve the children of men. Jeremiah is acknowledging God is not causing his grief. God gave him the command to preach God's word and that has ended him up in the pit. But the reason he's in the pit is because of the sin of others and God has just been pleased not to get involved yet. But Jeremiah says, oh, he will. He will get involved. He does not cast off forever. And he will show compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. He does not afflict willingly. He does not grieve the children of men. God is good. One of the hardest things to do when you're grieving or when you're depressed is to remember that even though what you see with your eyes or experience with your feelings is not matching up with what God's Word says. God's Word is true always. And that's why you need to meditate on God's character. That's why you need to wait 
quietly because God will not allow you to be afflicted forever. He will remove your suffering. He will comfort you. And when something like this happens, it's a reminder to all of us that life is a vapor. In fact, it's in times like these that we get the closest to truly understanding the reality of life that Scripture lays before us. Psalm 39.4 says this, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. I want you to leave today equipped to navigate grief and depression, but I also want you, I want you leaving here today equipped to minister to this precious family in our church. I also, though, want you to leave and consider how brief your life is. It is true that we are not promised another day on this earth. And I want to ask you, if you died today, would you spend eternity in heaven or in hell? I'm not asking if you go to church. I'm not asking if you're a religious person. I'm not asking if you're a good person. I'm asking, have you met God's terms for salvation? Is Jesus the boss of your life? Have you bowed the knee to Jesus? And I hear sometimes folks talk to me and ask for help. How do I know I'm saved? I'm struggling with that. There's a simple way to know if you're saved. Are you actively trying to learn to obey Jesus? Or are you ignoring Him? If you're actively trying to obey Him, you might be a big screw-up. So am I. But if you're actively trying to obey Him, that's evidence that you are indeed saved. You have bowed the knee to Jesus. You are trying to obey Him. But if you're ignoring Him, you ought to consider your life is brief. I want you to know that God says that He is creator of all things. He has all authority, power, and wisdom. That means He's the boss. He commanded things to exist that did not exist, and those things obeyed Him. He is mighty. He is glorious. God is majestic. God is king. He's the boss. And the Bible says that God made man in His image so that we could know Him, so that we could understand what He says about Himself, and so that we could live in relationship with Him. Paul says in Acts 17, 26-28, From one man, God created all the nations throughout the whole earth. God decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and He determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him, though He is not far from any one of us. For in Him we live and move and exist. I want you to know that God created you and I with a specific purpose, that we might live on this earth for a vapor of a time and seek after Him knowing that He's not far from us. And the great cornerstone promise of the Bible is that if you seek God, you will find Him. Amen. He wants to be found. 
Now the Bible says that all people have sinned against God. Now this means that we think wrongly about God. He's creator and we don't think the same thing. He's the boss and we don't think the same thing. We think wrongly about Him. We speak wrongly about Him and we act wrongly toward Him. The truth is, the Bible says that all of us, every person who's ever lived and every person who ever will live, ignores God. We ignore His Word and we refuse to believe Him. We don't believe God. We don't obey His instructions. We don't want Jesus to be the boss of our lives. Instead, we just want to rule ourselves. God has good news for us. He loves us. He loves all people that He has made in His image. And He has called people everywhere to repent from their sin. Acts 17.30, Paul explains, God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now He commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to Him. So God has set a day for judging the wickedness of man, and He appointed Jesus as judge over that day. It is a real calendar day and a real event that is going to happen in the future. God has spoken future things through His Word. And on that day, everyone who has repented of their sins and turned to God will be rewarded with eternal life in heaven. Should you experience tragedy today on your way home and die, if you have repented of your sins and turned toward God, you will be rewarded with life in heaven, eternal life in heaven. When judgment day comes, your name will be written in the Lamb's book of life. But all who have refused to repent and turn to God will be punished with eternal suffering in a place called hell. It is a place of fire An eternal burning. And for all who refuse to repent and turn to God, they will experience life or eternal death in hell. So if you die today and you have not repented and turned toward God, if you die today without repenting, without bowing the knee to Jesus, you will go to hell. And you will spend eternity suffering there. So you say, what is the good news about that? Well, Jesus died on the cross so that we can be forgiven of our sins. He rose from the grave, Paul says, to prove that judgment day is a real event that is going to happen. And in order to be forgiven of our sins and saved from that coming judgment... We must repent. You've heard religious people talk about being saved. So what in the world is being saved? It's being saved from the coming judgment that God has promised will will happen. In order to be saved from that judgment, we must repent. Well, how do you repent? And right now, like I said, it's very easy to understand whether or not you are saved from that coming judgment. Either you are attempting to obey Lord Jesus or you are ignoring Him. If you're ignoring Him, He's not your boss. 
if that's you, I want you to listen because God tells us how to repent and be saved. When we repent, we're doing three things at once. First, we're turning from our sin to believe correctly about God. God is creator. He's master of all things. He's the boss. Jesus is God. Jesus died on the cross so that we could be forgiven of our sin. And He rose from the grave to prove that judgment day really is going to happen. And when we repent, we are turning from our sin and we are believing rightly about Jesus and about God. When we repent, we are also turning from our sin and we are agreeing with Jesus about our sin. We are agreeing with Jesus that we are dirty, rotten sinners. We are agreeing with Jesus that our sin deserves eternal punishment in hell. And in agreeing with Jesus about our sin, we are asking Jesus to forgive us our sin. We're doing the final thing. We're turning from our sin and we are turning toward God and we are committing to spend the rest of our lives learning how to obey Him. How do you repent? You you turn from your sin toward God, Paul says. You're believing rightly about Him. You're agreeing with Him about your sin and you're asking Him to forgive you. And as you ask Him to forgive you, you you're committing to spend the rest of your life learning how to make Him your boss. For those of you who are saved in the room, you know well, when you get saved, you don't stop struggling with sin. Amen or oh me? What do you do? You begin a journey where you are committed to learn how to obey Jesus. And as you walk that journey of faith, you learn more and more how to better obey Lord Jesus. Amen? I want to ask if, if you know right now that you are not saved, if Lord Jesus is not the boss of your life, if you've been ignoring Lord Jesus, if you know that if you died today, you would spend eternity in hell, I want to ask you, are you willing to repent today? Are you willing to repent right now? It's a very simple, very simple act. You can repent right now by just praying a very simple prayer. God, I believe that you are who you say you are. Jesus, I believe you're God. I believe you died on the cross so that I could be forgiven of my sin. I believe you rose from the grave. Please forgive me of my sin. I commit to spend the rest of my life learning how to make you boss. A simple prayer, just like that. You can be saved right now from coming judgments. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you, are you willing, if you're not saved, to repent? To submit to Lord Jesus, to bow the knee to Lord Jesus? I'm going to ask you to take this moment to pray that very simple prayer. God, I believe Your Word. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin and rose from the grave. I am a sinner. Please forgive me. I want to spend the rest of my life learning how to obey You. And if you prayed that prayer right now, and you just repented. Every head is bowed. I'm just going to ask you to lift your hands so I know who you are. 
Just lift your hand high so I can see it. If you just prayed that prayer. Okay, I see your hand. You can put it down. I see your hand. Anyone else? You just prayed with me and you, you repented for the first time. Anybody else? Is there anybody that says, I know I need to repent. I'm just struggling right now. I want to talk to you later. Would you lift your hand if that's you? I'm just struggling right now. I want to, I want to repent, but I need, to, I need help. Lift your hand high. Okay, I see your hand. Yeah. Amen. Okay. We're going to sing a song of invitation and I'm going to ask you to, to do with that time what you need to do. If you have repented today and you'd like to make that known to the church, come forward and let's celebrate that together. Maybe you need to join our church. Take this time to do that. Just allow the Lord and His Word to transform your heart. Father, we love You. We ask You, Lord, to continue to help us live outside the garden. Help us to meditate on your character. Teach us what it is to obey you. Father, give us boldness to spend the rest of our days helping others come to faith in Jesus. And I pray this in his name. Amen. Let's stand and sing in response.